Uh, he felt like I was trying to recoup some of that time for you today by only looking at two verses. Uh, let me ask you this question. Have any of you ever before been frustrated? Now, I'm talking to Facebook users, so yes, I recognize youth that we're very old in our use of Facebook, um, that obsolete social media. But, but for those of us that use Facebook, do any of you that use Facebook ever get frustrated because you want to do one of those like colorful, bold posts, right? The kind that stand out and everybody notices. But what you want to say is too long to fit on one of those colorful, bold posts. Have any of you ever had that issue before? Uh, it's as if you have two choices. You can either say a lot and not emphasize it, or you can shorten it and emphasize it. That's, those are kind of the options that Facebook gives you. Well, this morning, I'm kind of following that as well. This morning, the option was to look at uh, verses 15 and 16. The options were to look at verses 15 and 16 and really emphasize the great truth that we see here. Uh, a truth that I believe is very, very impactful that is fundamental to our understanding of how it is that we are saved as Christian people, uh, and, and is also really foundational for all of Paul's argument in the book of Galatians. Or we could try and look at 15 through 21, which really has the same fundamental teaching, but, but ends up getting so long and there's so many technical parts to it that it's hard to focus on just this key core teaching. And so I decided this morning that we would be, uh, that we'd be more brief in the amount of text that we look at. No promises on the length of the sermon. But today we are really just looking mainly at one part of one verse. Now this is not the way that I always preach, but I think it's fitting for the gravity of the teaching that we're seeing this morning. If you want a title for this teaching that, that I, you'll hear me talking about over and over today, it, it can, you can put imputed righteousness. Imputed, given to us, transferred to us by someone else. Righteousness. That's the idea that we're going to see in this text. So look back in verse 15. And let's make sure and put to bed the, the one thing that seems very startling here because Paul does begin this section by saying, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And when you read that, that sounds very startling because it sounds like Paul is saying Jew, Jewish Christians are better than Gentile Christians. Which if you were with us a few weeks ago, whenever we were in, in verse 14 and the few preceding that, Paul just, I mean, publicly, I don't want to say hammered, but I, he confronted strongly Peter and Barnabas and all the other the Jewish Christians at Antioch for that exact thought, that they were better than the other Gentile Christians. And so when you see Paul then say, we that are Jews are not Gentile sinners, this is what I think we have to recognize, is that Paul is using irony in this statement. Right? He, is, he is purposefully saying something that he knows not to be true for effect and rhetoric. He here is then going to take verse 16, where we're going to camp out this morning, and he is rebuting their thought that Jews because they obey the law, are better than Gentiles. 
So look with me at verse 16. I'll read the whole verse for us again. And then we're going to focus just on this first portion. He says, Yet, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Right? This is somewhat of a circular argument. He's saying the same thing multiple times. So this is what I want us to really focus on today. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Before we try and tackle that together, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing together. Father God, we are thankful for the opportunity this morning already to have worshipped you corporately through song and through the reading of scripture and through praying together. Father, I'm thankful for small group Sunday school classes that have taken place. Lord, I trust that encouragement and love and kindness have been shared already today among your people and that it has been a good morning. And Lord, now as we come to this portion of our time of worship, when we stop to, to focus our minds together on, on your word, help us to understand it. Lord, help us to not be distracted. Father, help us to be focused on this teaching for this time, that our hearts and minds would be turned more towards you, that we would love you more because of who you are and because of what you've done. Father, as we, as we take on such a, a heavy teaching, such a fundamental teaching this morning, Father, I pray that we'll be able to grasp it well together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look here, there's one word that I want to make sure that we define because it's, it's part of his argument that if we don't understand this one word in this text, then we're not really understanding what Paul's trying to get at. And the word is justified. Right, This word justified, he uses it three times in verse 16. This is a word that he's trying to highlight. And, and what does he mean when he says justified? Well, the, the word used for justified here means uh, to be declared righteous. Or if we want to make it a little bit more colloquial, we'd say to be right with God. Right, So this is the idea that, that you have no sins that you are completely perfect, that you are right in every way, in every sense, and that your standing with God is perfect, is right. There's nothing on your account. There are no debits on your account, if you will. That's the idea that he's talking about here. So fundamentally, Paul's talking about how is it that a person can be declared perfect? How is it that God could look at any human being how is it that God could look at me and say, yes, he is sinless. He is completely righteous. There is no beef between me and him. How is it that that could happen in order that we could have a perfect relationship with God here and be with him in heaven forever when we die? That is what Paul is getting at in this text. And in this day and time when he's writing... As well as in religion today, there are really two main lines of thought on this. You can find other ancillary ones, but these two are the main ones that fit into all of the different categories of religious teachings across the board 
I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable saying that. And the first one is, the first one that he brings up here, it's legalism. Right? He doesn't use that word, but he says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. So this idea of legalism, we find in a lot of different religions across the world. We have throughout all of world history. And it's just basically this idea. That you, if you do enough good works, then God will accept you. Right? That's kind of the idea behind legalism at its, at its basic point, at the core. The idea is, hey, if, if my good outweighs my bad, if I'm better, you can say lots, I'm better if I'm better than my neighbor, if I'm getting better than who I used to be. If I do enough good stuff, God will be happy with me, God will be pleased with me, and He'll let me come to heaven. That's the basic idea behind legalism, and it's the issue that these Jewish people were dealing with. Now, there were parts of the law that they kept that Gentiles didn't keep, right? Ceremonial type things, calendar type things, the days that they fasted, circumcision, some of those kind of things. They did that and the Gentiles didn't do it. So they thought, even though we're Christians and the Gentiles are Christians, God likes us more than them because we do these things. It's this idea of legal. We have earned through our actions more of God's favor than they have. Now, it's, it's a problem whenever you start to believe this. And we'll talk about why more in just a moment. But Paul just really begins by making it very clear. This idea is not true. Right? We know that a person is not. Right? You can say that we know that nobody is going to be justified by works of the law. He's saying works of the law, and here you could talk about the Mosaic Law, or you could just in general talk about good works, right? Being a good neighbor, being kind, being helpful, uh, showing up to work on time. Nobody is going to be declared right, perfect, and sinless before God because of their works. So point one this morning is this, legalism is a lie. Plain and simple, legalism, the fact that you can earn God's acceptance is a lie. I don't care what it's couched in. I don't care how somebody tries to explain it to you. I don't care how passionate they are in their belief that you can do it. It's a lie. It is not true. You can never, ever do enough good to be accepted by God. Now, this morning I have an object lesson for you. This is... This is a particular treat. Those of you that have been coming for a long time know that this is a particular treat. I don't have object lessons very often. But this morning, I'm going to make for you some soup. Is anybody hungry? All right, so I've got some different things here. This is not water. This is broth. And so, right, if I'm trying to make a good soup here, I'm going to put my broth in. I've got some vegetables. We're making vegetable soup. And and so I'm going to put that in there, and I've... Got some seasoning. I know you can't see it where you are. This is my favorite kind of seasoning. You can buy this at Walmart. And the name of this, can anybody read that? Can one of y'all youth read that? Sweet Preacher. Sweet Preacher. 
Uh, this I'm not putting in here because this is a uh, pork seasoning, though. So I'm going to put some seasoning in here. I've got all this good stuff, right? Starting to sound pretty good. Some of you are getting hungry. You thought this is a bad idea. And then the other thing I'm going to put in here is a cockroach. So I've got, I've got my seasonings. I've got my broth. I've got my vegetables. I'll add a little chicken. And I've got my cockroach in here. And all of a sudden... This soup doesn't seem very good, does it? What if I add some more good stuff? What if I continue to put more good broth and, and more good vegetables and more good seasoning? Does it seem more appetizing if I continue to put more good stuff in here? No, no matter how much good stuff I put in this soup, this soup is always going to have a cockroach in it. right? And even if I take the cockroach out of it, the soup is still tainted by the effect of a cockroach, is it not? Right, this, this here I want you to kind of understand here. This pot of soup is kind of like our life. Now, none of us have just one cockroach to put in here, right? If the cockroach represents our sin, we've got lots of cockroaches in here. whole bunch, just fill the thing up with cockroaches. And so, so no matter... How much good I add to this soup, it's always going to be, for me, inedible soup. Right? It's always going to be imperfect, unrighteous, if you will, soup. Right? you agree with that? So this, this soup helps us to understand at a fundamental level that legalism is a lie, right? Doing good doesn't override the fact that I have done bad. If, if the goal is to be perfect, then once you put the cockroach in, it doesn't matter. Soup's never, ever going to be perfect. And, and the same can be said for us, brothers and sisters. Even if from now through the end of my life, I never sin ever again, not one more time, the truth still remains that I am a sinner that I have sinned, that I am imperfect, and that I am not righteous. And so Paul says here, nobody is going to be justified by works of the law or by their good works or by how many good things they do because we are all sinners. Now this is important on multiple levels that we understand why legalism is alive. One, I think because some of us some of us kind of feel bent towards this sometimes. We feel like we need to earn God's favor. Like we need to do enough good that, that we're just, there's no way that God would ever accept us. Some of you have had that feeling before, and you need to hear that that's not how God works. And you also need to hear it because we are surrounded by people that believe this lie. I looked it up this week. If you take just three of the major world religions, Islam, Judaism, and Buddhism, which are all considered works-based religions, cumulatively they make up over one quarter of the world's population. So there are at least two billion people in the world that believe legalism is true, and this is the path that they're following to try and get to heaven. They believe, I have to do enough good for God to accept me. But we know that that's not true. And we can share with them 
that that's not true. And so then the, the question is, I told you there are two main lines of thinking here. And if legalism is a lie, then what's the other option? And we see it here back in this portion of text. He said, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ, and the implication is through faith in Jesus Christ, people can be, be declared justified right he says so we also have believed in christ jesus in order to be justified by faith in christ so when we have faith in jesus christ we are declared justified righteous perfect sinless before god our relationship with god is made whole and perfect and when he looks at us he sees no sin he sees only perfection and you say, well, how does that work? Well, the ins and outs of it are, I think for me, probably most succinctly displayed in Romans chapter 3. It's the first sermon I ever preached at Mount Zion Baptist Church whenever I was here in view of a call. I absolutely love that text. I'm not going to go through it to try and preach two sermons this morning. But let me give you kind of the short version of it. We've all sinned, and because of our sin, we're cut off and separated from God. We are deserving of being separated from Him forever and ever, which means when we die, we will go to hell. Not only are we separated and cut off from Him now by our sin, but it means that when we die, we'll be separated and cut off from Him forever and ever. It's a permanent position. Once you sin, you're a sinner. You're no longer perfect. You're not justified. You're not righteous. And you're separated from God. And you will be separated from God forever and ever and ever. There's nothing that you can do on your own at that point to make things right again. But there is something that text teaches. There is something that God could do. And you know what? He did it. He, he did. He stepped out of heaven and came to earth. Jesus Christ came in the form of a man and he lived a life that was perfect. That was sinless. He never did a single thing wrong. He went through this life and remained completely righteous. Yet he went to the cross and while on the cross, he took our sin on him. And he paid the punishment for our sin. And now when we believe in him, his righteousness is imputed, is transferred, is given to us because of our faith. This is a gracious thing that God does. That God allows us through faith to receive the righteousness of Christ. Now, how does that work? I can't explain that to you. It's a spiritual thing, but I know the Bible teaches this truth. If I have faith in Jesus Christ, then in God's eyes... I am no longer a sinner. I am no longer imperfect. I am no longer unrighteous, but I am perfect and my relationship with God is reconciled and we are no longer separated and I will be righteous and justified forever and ever because of the work that Christ did. Point two, it's the only other point this morning. The gospel of God's grace is great. 
The gospel of God's grace is great. So back to the illustration here. Let me work on a different pot of soup. So we have a, a different pot here. And there's no cockroach in here, right? So I put my broth and I put my vegetables and I put my seasonings and I put my chicken and I put only good things in here. This soup contains all the good stuff and nothing bad. Nothing imperfect, nothing that you wouldn't want to eat. It's just good soup. And this pot represents the life that Jesus lived while he was on earth. Right? Perfect, all good, all the time, nothing sinful, no cockroaches, nothing of that nature. Only perfection. And now, this is the teaching of Scripture, brothers and sisters. If this is your life and you're continuing to try and add good things, you're never going to get to where you want to be. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, this is what happens. Not that he cleans this pot out. No, this becomes your pot. That's what I want you to hear and understand this morning. This is the idea of imputed righteousness. Not that God takes your life and cleans it up. No, in God's eyes, this is now your account. This is your soup. Not that, not that there was sin and it's been cleaned out. No, that there's no sin. That you are completely perfect, and in his eyes, you always have been. This is the idea that Paul teaches in Romans 3, and we'll see it in Galatians 3, and we're seeing it here in Galatians chapter 2, is that, that we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. We are righteous and sinless because of our faith. When God looks at you, this is what he sees. Not this. You are perfect in God's eyes. And I know that this isn't a perfect illustration. Illustrations never are perfect. But I do want you to hear this, brothers and sisters. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are completely right with God. It's not that you're getting there. It's not that you're okay. It's not that if you start doing some better things... He'll be pleased with you. No, it's now, right now, at the moment that you have faith, because of the work that Jesus has done, you are completely right, completely pleasing, completely accepted by God. Now, we continue to live a life after that that honors God. Right? We want to do good works, but those good works aren't earning our place in heaven. No, our place in heaven is secured because of the good works that Jesus did that didn't include any sin. So by way of application, let me just give you just three words that if you're taking notes, I want you to write down. The first one is rest. The idea of salvation by grace through faith offers rest. Because brothers and sisters, can you imagine, this is what I've seen and heard, heard a lot of stories of this a couple weeks ago from our, our brothers and sisters that are missionaries that are reaching out to uh, Muslim people that are in this works-based idea, it's this, it's this feeling that there's never any rest. That every day that I wake up, that I have to continue to try to earn God's favor because I'm not there yet. I have to continue to do good, and if I slip up, then I've really come down some, and there's, there's no rest. It's just this constant striving and this never achieving. And some of you have felt that even as Christians. 
But I think it's because you have this legalistic mindset, and we have this mindset because we're trained this way, right? I have to earn my spot on the team, and I have to earn the promotion, and I have to earn my friend's trust, and we have to earn everything we do. But God says with Him, it's different. You can have rest because in Jesus Christ, you are already accepted. You are already perfect. God is is completely pleased with who you are. You are already enough. I want you to hear that this morning. If you're here and you're a Christian, you have faith in Jesus Christ, in God's eyes, you're already enough. Continue. We want to continue to grow in sanctification. We want to continue to honor God. But you're already enough. You're already accepted by God. Second word is forgiveness. In in salvation by grace through faith, there is forgiveness. And I think there are kind of two sides to this coin that some of us need to hear. I think some of you probably need to hear this a little bit more because you still feel like you're living in the guilt of your former life. Right? You feel like God's accepted you, but this is still you. That you're kind of living in the shadow of your sin and you're living in the shadow of who you used to be. And you think that God thinks about your sin and who you used to be and how imperfect you used to be all of the time. But the truth of this scripture is that that's not how God works. God's not looking at you and thinking about who you used to be. He's looking at you and he's thinking about the righteousness of Christ. That you are completely perfect. That he's, he's not kind of making you just live right underneath the sin that you used to take part in. Your worth and your value and your acceptance aren't based on who you were. They're based on who Jesus is. And you're fully accepted and fully forgiven. And some of us need to hear this because we're a little bit more pharisaical. And we kind of feel like we live in our own righteousness, right? We refer to this as self-righteousness. You kind of feel like we are good because we're better than the other people around us. And that God probably should. You might kind of agree with these Jews a little bit. God probably should accept me more. Because when I look at what other people post on Facebook versus what I post on Facebook or Instagram or wherever else, uh, and whenever I see how my neighbors act and whenever I look at how often I go to church and how often other people go to church, you know what, I think God probably should accept me more than he accepts me. He should probably be more pleased with me. Brothers and sisters, that's self-righteousness. And the truth of Scripture is that there's only one type of person that's acceptable to God, and that's those that are forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ, not those that have earned it on their own. So if you're here today and you think that you're, you're better than everybody else, I just want you to hear this. There's only one person whose soup's worth eating, and that's Jesus's. It's not mine, and it's not yours. It's Jesus's. We haven't earned God's favor. Only Jesus has earned, merited a perfect an account before God. And the last word is this. It's probably one of our favorite. It's assurance. Assurance. Brothers and sisters, in legalism, like, what if you lived a perfect life 
all the way to the very end. You never sinned. You never did anything wrong. And right on your deathbed, somebody drops something on your toe and you say a word that you shouldn't. And now you're going to hell forever. Right? Man, in legalism, there's no assurance. But in Christ, there is assurance. That, that the forgiveness that I need and that the rest that I need and that the acceptance that I need is mine and it always will be. Because Christ will never sin. Come and join us Wednesday night as we look at verses 17 through 21 and we'll see that idea displayed a little bit more. But this morning I want to begin by, and kind of a challenge in response, speaking to those of you who who may not have faith in Jesus Christ. If your life feels like it's this constant striving and never achieving because you're not enough, I want you to hear this this morning. Although this may sound harsh, it's the truth of Scripture. You're not enough. If you're here and you're trying to earn God's favor by doing enough good works and you feel like you haven't done enough, you haven't. And you can't. And you never will. But if you'll come today and let me tell you about Christ, and you'll respond in faith to Him, then the good news is this, He's already done enough. You're already, you will already be accepted fully by God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. There may be some of you here this morning that, that are, are Christians and you know that you're saved, but you continue to fight that battle of legalism because you feel like there's just, I just can't believe, I just can't believe that God would accept and love me fully. I want you to hear it this morning. That's what Scripture says. Scripture says He does. When He looks at you, He doesn't see your account. He sees Christ's account because Christ paid the penalty for your debts. He paid the penalty for all the wrong that we have done. And so now through faith, all God sees is perfection when He looks at us. And it's an amazing thing. And it's a difficult to understand thing. But it's a true thing. And so there's rest for you. Rest in knowing that you don't have to earn God's favor. Live a life that honors Him because you love Him, but not because you're trying to earn His favor. This morning, I'm going to invite you to stand, and, and maybe you're in one of these spots. Maybe you've been fighting self-righteousness, and you need to be reminded today that your forgiveness is only in Christ. Maybe you're here, and the Lord is saying something else to you. He's working on you in some other way, and you need to respond. We're going to have a time. We're going to sing now, and you can respond by praying where you are or by coming down here and praying or I would love to pray with you if you say, I don't even know what to pray. Come and share with me what you're feeling and let's pray together. Maybe you just want to sing out of joy because of the truth of imputed righteousness that we can have that you're reminded of today. I just want you to respond however the Lord's leading you to during this time before we leave here and get too busy to remember what he's telling our hearts to do. So you respond as the Lord leads.